This morning's reading is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pihon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone, so I will make a helper suitable for him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. Your spirit, our teacher. And your greater glory, our supreme concern. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. I wonder how many friends do you reckon you've got? Checked Facebook last night, tells me I've got 168, but I'm not sure they are really the arbiter of who is and isn't really my friend. I have a few, a very few friends from my school days who I'm still in touch with. 
I didn't have a particularly easy or pleasant time at school, to be honest. And there are a lot of people I'm not that sad about having lost touch with. But there are some I still am in touch with. And that is good. I have a few more from university. Not a huge number, but some really good friends with whom I have a lot more connection. We have things in common. We have shared interests. We have shared outlooks on life. We keep each other posted about what's going on in our lives and our families' lives. And we talk about the things that are interesting to us, mostly trains. And then there are people here at church and at work and in other organizations that I've been involved with, people with whom I've spent a lot of time working on stuff together. And as that happens, then learning more about each other and getting to know each other and to become friends as we work towards common goals. Joe was really encouraging for me this week when we were facing some fairly urgent problems here at the church building, uh, and an absolutely brilliant little team was working together, each with our own particular strengths, but with that common purpose and the shared friendship in that quite unexpected time together this week. It was good. It is good to be together. What do I mean by that? I mean, on on one level, it is really good for us to be together this morning as God's church in this place, meeting to hear his word, to pray to him for the needs of the world, to share in the Holy Communion, to encourage one another. It is good to be together. I'm glad you're all here. (laughs) But at a deeper level, being together just is good. It's part of what makes us human. We human beings, we have this capacity to relate, to connect, to build friendships, to live in community, to care deeply for one another. It's, it's special. So as Becca said, we're starting a series of sermons that we've entitled True Friendship, looking at something of what the Bible has to say about friendship and its joys and its challenges, making friends, the friends of Jesus, why friendship matters so much to us. And this morning, here we are, starting at the very start of our Bibles, almost at the very start, in Genesis chapter 2, page 4 in the Church Bibles. The reading, obviously, is talking about the creation of the world, and especially the creation of humanity. Verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And he's a living being who is well provided for by his creator, There's a garden where he'll live, verse 8. In the garden there are all kinds of trees and plants pleasing to the eye and good for food, verse 9. There's plentiful water. There's gold and other wonderful things in the vicinity. And and the man has a clear role and task, which we see in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. This is... 
This man is abundantly well provided for. It seems like his father God gives him everything he needs. And yet we come to verse 18. And there's a statement that really, really sticks out. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And that's incredibly striking because if you'd started back in Genesis chapter 1, you'd you'd have been hearing over and over again that God had made things and they were good. God saw that the light was good, Genesis 1 verse 4. He made the lands and seas and God saw that it was good, verse 10. Plants and trees and God saw that it was good and so on and so on. God keeps making things and it says that God saw that it was good, it was good, it was good. And coming back to this morning's reading from chapter 2 verse 18, there's that really striking, incongruous statement It's not good for the man to be alone. It doesn't say that God has made something that's bad. That's not what's being said here. But it is incomplete. It's not yet complete. We've got this beautiful and abundantly provided garden. And one very blessed person. And it will be good. It will be very good once he has help and companionship. And that's what happens in the rest of chapter 2. Mankind needs companionship, relationship, friendship, community. Those were the things that completed God's creation. Why Why might that be? Why can't this man just live contentedly on his own? Well, we need to dig back into the first chapter of Genesis, the account of God creating the whole world. And in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we read some amazing truths. After he's created all the animals, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man, mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God has created mankind in God's own image. Humanity reflects something of who God is, the Bible tells us, in a unique way. Sure, you and I reflect his image incompletely. Since the fall, since sin entered the world, that image has been marred in many ways. And yet, we are intended to be in the image of God. Who we are reflects and shows something of who God is. And who is God? What is he like? Because that will tell us, it will give us some clues. 
The Christian church knows God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what we call Trinity. We worship one God in whom are three persons. And because we believe, and we believe this about God because it's how we, God, we see God revealing himself in the Bible, in his word. Even, even in these first chapters of Genesis, we see God the Father at work. We see the Holy Spirit moving. Chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In chapter 1, verse 26, God says, let us make mankind in our image. Or move on to the New Testament and to that prologue to John's Gospel. Our reading we hear read at Christmas. We find that in the act of creation, the Son of God... Jesus was there too. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning through him, through Christ. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that has been made. St. Paul in Colossians chapter 1, he strikes up the same theme. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all present and active in the creation of the universe. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each of them God, all eternal, all uncreated, not made by anyone else. All of them almighty, not not three gods, not three eternals or three uncreated or three almighties, but God is one and God is three persons, none of whom is greater or less than the others. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the one true God, together in all eternity before the creation of the universe we see, working together to create his world, delighting in each other, fulfilling together their shared plan and purpose in creation. A few years ago, I posted something on, on Facebook, some sort of observation. I can't remember the details, but an observation about something that I find interesting. And I woke up the next morning to find that a friend had commented, yawn. Which was disappointing, and I tried to explain that, well, I find it interesting, and so I was allowed to talk about it. And he blocked me, so that went well. And sometimes in a similar sort of way, People sometimes think that the the doctrine of the Trinity is yawn. It is dull, academic, or unimportant. And this is not true. This stuff about who God is and how he relates to himself is, is vital. It's absolutely crucial. So where am I going with this? Well, what it means for our thinking about friendship and relationship and community is this. Because God is Trinity, three persons in one God, then relationship 
between the persons, relationships between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is central to who God is. Who is your God? He is three in one. And it has always been so. That's who he is. God was three in one before he created anything. Jesus didn't just pop into existence when the angel Gabriel visited the Virgin Mary nine months before the first Christmas. He is the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who chose to come to earth and take on human flesh. The Holy Spirit isn't just some impersonal force sent by God. The Holy Spirit's a person, someone who interprets God's word to us, who melts our hearts to enable us to believe in the Lord Jesus. He's the one who brings a person into the Christian faith, who dwells within the hearts of God's people. God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, working together and delighting in each other. So, relationship is central to who God is. And we've already seen that we are made in the image of God to reflect something of what he is like. And so it should come as no surprise at all that we see in Genesis chapter 2 that relationship, friendship, community are intrinsic to who we are too. It should not be a surprise. We need community and friendship and relationship because that's what, what our creator is like too. Our God is relationship. Friendship, community. And these, these excellent things, friendship, relationship, community, they, they are God's gift to humanity right back at the very start of history, before sin and evil ever, ever entered the world. They're for us. His gift to us. So that's... Just think through some of the implications of what we've seen so far. And we will expand, I hope, on many of these as our sermon series continues. What does this mean for us? It means that life is a team sport. It has to be done as part of a team. I need others to help and encourage me, to check in on me, to support me when it's tough. And at the exact same time, those others also need me helping and encouraging and checking in and supporting them. Needing help and being helped are not signs of weakness. They're part of how we're designed to be. We need each other and it's always been so. I am being most authentically human when I value the friendship of others and the community that we make together. The Christian life is a team sport in exactly the same way. Trying to run the race of faith on my own is not what I was intended to be or to do. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews puts it this way, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. We're meant to be in this Christian adventure together. We need each other. 
A couple of years ago, went to see the um, CBSO at Symphony Hall. It was our first time back in a concert hall after lockdown. First time with a real audience, a real orchestra and a real conductor all in the same place. And it was electric. I mean, we'd been listening to music online while we couldn't go in person, but it was nothing like this. The orchestra were playing and there was connection. There was connection between the audience and the players and between the players and the conductor and between the audience and the conductor. We were, we were experiencing it all together. We were in it together. It was magical. It was extraordinary. And the Christian life is meant to be something a bit like that. Another thing. The, the laws that God gave to his people reflect the importance of relationships and friendships. All, all those rules and guides for life, they're to do with making sure that our relationships are working as God intended. You might remember in Matthew 22 when Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he replied... Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not so much a rule to keep us relationships that we need to keep working on and central and that then permeate the things that we do. The things God asks his people to do aren't arbitrary. They're not just made up by him out of thin air. The whole point of them is to ask us to focus on our relationships. Love God, love neighbor, know them, care for them, seek to understand them. Those are the things that then determine how we live our lives. And those two types of relationships, relationship with God and with neighbor, they're, they're, they're deeply connected. Our human relationships exist and they matter because we're made in God's image and he is love and relationship himself. As we work on our relationship with God, then the changes that makes in our lives are going to rub off on our relationships with the communities we belong to. And as we work on our community and our friendship relationships, that in turn helps us to love God better too. And one last thing. As our series progresses, we will find that friendship is self-giving. Towards the end of the series, we're going to look at John chapter 15, where Jesus famously says to his disciples, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. True friendship involves giving of ourselves because actually we seek the best for someone else and we want to give them joy. Self-giving love is intrinsic to who God is. Even in creation, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together, each seeking to love and honor the other. Adam and Eve seeking to care for and bless each other, are giving of themselves to honour and build up the other. But we see this self-giving 
above all in the death and resurrection, in the self-giving love of Jesus Christ for humanity. This reading this morning is from before the fall, before evil entered the world. Many aspects of friendship and relationship and community now are broken, they're frustrated. And yet, in Jesus Christ, they're restored because of his self-giving love that took him willingly to that cross. Isn't that beautiful? That his quality of friendship restores our friendships with each other and with him. Let us pray. O Lord God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you are love and relationship and joy. And that these things overflow from your life into ours, made as we are in your image. Would you help us in these coming weeks to see in your self-giving love the pattern for our own lives and to see in your life together a holy trinity the model for and the centrality of our own friendships and relationships and community life open our eyes and our hearts to fresh possibilities and new joys we pray in our saviour's name amen